Would you remain standing with me as we pray this prayer together, as we also prepare ourselves to hear the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Living God, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the new light of this day. Open our lips to tell of the empty tomb. Open our hearts to believe the good news. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 9, reading from verse 1 through to 6. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Father, this morning, we have prayed together that our eyes would be opened and our hearts attuned to your word. We recognize that only you have the power to change hearts and truly change minds. And so the preaching of your word is done in the humble posture of reliance upon the Spirit of God who is able to take the simplicity of human reflection upon the divine word and impart truth in such a way that it does not only change and challenge our minds but transforms our lives. There are some of us here who are in need of transformation. Some of us here, Father, in need of an experience of you in our daily lives that helps us to see what perhaps we have not yet seen. There are some of us who are open here today to hearing what you have to say, not only to us, but to your church so we ask, Lord, with humility and faith, that you would speak as you have spoken throughout history and even here today in this little church gathered in your name. May your word be spoken and your children obey. Amen. You may be seated. Can I share some good news with you before I preach? Well, preaching is good news. But some lesser good news in anticipation of the greater good news. Uh, some of you know that a number of years ago, at three years ago now, Ridan, the kids, and I had been planning a trip home to South Africa. 
And then this little thing happened called COVID-19. And uh, we were very disappointed because we recognized that it would be years before we could go home. Now, the good news is not that we're going home. I kind of felt that way when I heard sloth is going away. It's like, <laughs> this is not a very uplifting Easter service. Uh, but the good news is, um, and this is a long story that I'll be happy to tell you in person, my brother and his beloved wife, he also serves as a pastor back home, is able to come and visit us. When I left South Africa in, uh, on January the 8th, 1998, I did not know You know, they say when you get old, you get emotional. I hate that. <laughs> I'm not old, but I am emotional. Um, I did not know that it would be um, such a significant change in the sense that I would not live with my brother. Um, he's my only surviving brother, as some of you know. Sadly, my family was killed in a car accident, mom, dad, younger brother and sister. And so the bond between my brother and I are pretty significant. And for any of us who live away from family, um, you know that family means so much, and when you can't be with them, it is difficult. And so I am so grateful uh, for the grace of God and the provision that He has made possible this trip for my brother and his wife. And I uh, want to say to you that I am so excited. Thank you to those of you who've been praying because you've been aware of our desire. And even though we cannot go to the motherland, which is a real depiction of heaven, the motherland will come to us. And I look forward to introducing you to my brother. This season of Easter is a season in which we become attentive to what it means to believe the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. Without a God who not only became like us, but died a horrific human death, was resurrected by the power of God himself, we do not have anything upon which to base our Christian hope. What we would be left with is a morality of religion and not a true hope of resurrection, which means this, that sin and death do not prevail. Sometimes when I prepare my messages, I ask the question, how can I take what I think the Holy Spirit is saying to me and put it in words that would convey the same conviction that I feel? It's kind of like when I talk to my children about something that I'm really passionate about, and I can see the glazed over look because right now, only dad cares about it. And I've come to the conclusion and I think our scripture bears this out, at least the book of Acts, that the conviction I carry 
cannot be transplanted in anybody else through my emotion or even my ability to communicate, but it must be through the power and the presence of God himself. So when I preach, I want you to hear me say this. I preach as one who participates with that which God wants to say and do. And I know what I can do, but I trust more fully in what he can do. For today, the ability to transform a man that was so determined and certain in his own life can only be understood through the great power of God himself. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that we need God's power to transform that which human agency cannot. Therefore, when I proclaim the word before I stand before you, I say, come Holy Spirit and speak life to your church in ways that I cannot so that that which needs to be conformed and transformed will be made possible by you. The season of Easter is a season of hope. It's a season which we are invited as the church to pay attention to the presence of Christ who is with us through His Spirit. We see following the resurrection on the first Weeks of this particular Easter season, that men who were afraid and fearful of their association with Jesus become emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's resurrection, and they are transformed from fear-filled people to people of faith and witness. So convinced were they of this resurrected Christ that they would, despite the implications in an imperial Roman-ruled world, proclaim that Caesar is not Lord, but that Jesus is. You know why the Christians got in trouble in the early centuries? It's not because they were outstanding moral citizens. They got in trouble because they proclaimed this, that there is no other Lord than Jesus Christ himself. And in a world that proclaims emperors that are lords, the subversion of this fledgling Jewish fledgling community seemed too much for Rome as it did for the religious. They were so successful that the movement grew even under persecution. They were so successful that as they were persecuted, the movement moved north. They say about, I think about 217 kilometers, says one of the historians, north of Jerusalem to Damascus. Pastor Ryan, for you, that's about 135 miles. (laughs) Get on board with the rest of the world, kilometers, (laughs) not miles. You know what's interesting about Damascus? Damascus was kind of a center of commerce at the time, and it was a Syrian city. Uh, Josephus, the historian, tells us that Damascus had one of the largest Jewish populations 
It seems, however, that you can read Acts in one of two ways, that somehow this fledgling movement just kind of accidentally started to promote the gospel because they were persecuted, or you could see that even through persecution and the oppression of people in their Christian faith, the Spirit of God were leading them, even when they felt like they were running strategically to places where the gospel could make a difference. I want you to hear me say this very clearly. When you read the Acts of the Apostles, this you must be convinced of. That the description of the character of the church that we are given is a church that is empowered by the Spirit to go from Jerusalem, Judea, and to all parts of the world. That to be the church is to be a missional community of faith that no matter where the opportunity presents itself, we go in the hope and in the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit. The ecclesia, the called out ones, are the sent ones. In each and every Christian community throughout this world, we proclaim this, that what Easter essentially means is that when we believe in the resurrection, such hope must move us to share it with the world. This is the hope of resurrection. Then we meet Saul. Oh, Saul, Saul. You know what I find when I read Scripture? It's easy to demonize some people. And then somehow Scripture has this unique ability to turn its finger back at me and say, Ooh, woe is you. A devout Jew, a Pharisee, a man of the Torah. I don't think we appreciate what happens in the text unless we really wrestle with what it meant for a man so certain of his faith and his religion to be confronted and upended from the certainty that he carried. Paul responds to this messianic movement that arises out of Judaism. Now, I know some of us like context, some of us don't, but if you just stay with me for a moment, I think it's really important. This kind of scripture has often been preached like this. God no longer had a purpose and a plan for the Jews, and he started something new. It's the same reason why people don't know what to do with the Old Testament as it relates to the New The character of God is one of faithfulness where he covenants himself to a people in the Old Testament called the Hebrews, then the Jewish people, the people of Israel, and a God who remains faithful to fulfill that what he promised to that people throughout Scripture and into the life of the early church. Let me put it to you this way. God's not in the business of replacing Judaism. He is in the business of renewing the kind of people he's always called the world to become. Therefore, when we preach this word, it is important to understand that that which God began with the calling of Abraham, he is now set on fulfilling through the person of Saul. Saul represents for us the very religious, the very convinced, the very certain 
the kind of person who believed, and I want us to sit with this before we demonize him, that what he was about and what he was protecting was God's true religion. I want to say this to us, that he had it right in part but not in whole. He understood the Torah, but like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, failed to understand and see in the scriptures from Moses through to the prophets that Jesus is the fulfillment of that which he had come to do for the people. Paul understood religion, but he missed its hope. Paul knew the scriptures, but he did not see a dying and resurrected Messiah as the end of that scripture's hope. When we think about Easter, let us remember that each one of us are invited to have our eyes opened to that which ultimately fulfills all things. And when we listen to the word, may we see its grandeur, its promise, its hope. So many live as if what the Scripture says has happened in Christ didn't. You know, I got to tell you, I'm a scaredy cat. Does that, that, that term even make sense here? Did I make that up or is that like a, it's a Canadian thing? I'm the kind of person who, I, I'm gonna sound really bad, but I need to know where Lauren is. And Luke is and Alani is. I, I want to make sure that my life is, as much as I can, be a presence and a protective presence for my children. I use them only in this example to say to you that when I preach about fear-shaped theology, I understand what it looks like to look at Scripture through the lens of fear and not faith and promise. And I want to encourage you in the season of resurrection, in this season of proclaiming that Christ has overcome Satan and death, whether you actually truly believe it or just proclaim it. So, the Jesus we find in the text appears on the road to Damascus. Damascus is the road of certainty, conviction, and ultimately persecution. We find that this Jesus also appears on Emmaus roads, Roads that I would consider to be roads of disappointment where God has let us down. The two disciples who walk on that road says, we had hoped, but then he died. And with his death, so died our hope. And Jesus opened their eyes to the reality that he is indeed the one that has overcome Satan's sin and death. He is the Jesus that appears not only on the Emmaus road when we are disappointed, and some of us here may have experienced disappointment in our own life. Disappointment that God didn't do what we wanted him to do. 
Disappointment that we had prayed about something that we had hoped for that hasn't been fulfilled. Disappointment that we had hopes, but somehow such hopes did not come to fulfillment. I want to say this to you. In the season of Easter, God steps into those roads of disappointment. And if you have ears to hear and eyes to see in faith that he does not abandon us, even in our moments of disappointment, then he may become present and active and alive even there. He's the God, according to last week's sermon, that shows up when we are being faithful and following Him and we find ourselves in places we wouldn't think we would be because we are being good Christians. The disciples preach and proclaim and they are faithful and yet they find themselves in imprisoned circumstances. I think that in the Western world where we have to be thankful that we do not have to really pay the price for our faith, let's just say amen. None of us are really being thrown in prison because we love Jesus. None of us are being threatened with our life because we proclaim to have a faith in Christ. But I want the church here to hear and wrestle with this. There are places and people in the world who end up paying with their very lives for this Jesus we get to proclaim here freely. But that same Jesus also appears in the places that we find ourselves when we continue to seek to be faithful. And if you're a Christian sitting here saying, Stu, I've tried to follow Jesus, I've done what he's wanted me to do, and yet I find myself in a place that I would rather not be, I want you to hear that the same divine presence that shows up in that prison cell and breaks open that doors is with you even when you are in the hard places. Because the resurrected Christ has no walls or prison cells he cannot enter. The resurrected Christ has no places he cannot break open. The resurrected Christ has the power to set his witness free. However, however, the Damascus Road. Ah, Jesus shows up. Did you see in the text? On the road to Damascus. This Damascus road represents in Paul's life the one who stood and hold the clothing of those who persecuted the first Christian martyr, Stephen. It represents a, a certainty and a particular perspective of religion that was insufficient. Does anybody know who Flannery O'Connor is? Yes, well-read people. American novelist, short story writer, essayist. She was right and also wrong in what she said about Paul, but I want you to hear what she said. I reckon the Lord knew that the only way to make a Christian out of that one <laughs> was to knock him off his horse. Now, the scripture never describes Paul as riding a horse, as Pastor Doug so wonderfully pointed out in our meeting. But O'Connor is right that God knows what we need in order to see who he is. And if we would be open in this season on our own Damascus Road experiences, what is it? 
that we need in order to see that which has so far escaped us? What is it that we need in order to hear that which has so long not been heard? You know, one of the most compelling parts of the narrative is that the persecution of the church in Jesus equates to this, the persecution of Jesus himself. God is so intimately tied to the church that what happens to us matters to him. God is so united to his witness that what they experience, he is experiencing. And this God who comes to Paul, a disgruntled, uh, certain persecutor of the early church, extends to even such a man the grace of his presence to change the trajectory of his life so that he could become the very person God wants him to be. I want you to hear, before I give you my two points, amen, not three today, two, that God is able to change anyone. So what is it that we can rely upon in the text? On our roads and our walks and our Damascus journeys, I think it becomes very clear when you read the text that we all realize this, that this committed Pharisee, familiar with the law and the Torah, bent on persecution, could only see what God would have him see through the power of God and no other power. I don't know what Ananias would have felt like, but Ananias is the, the Jew that is charged with, the Jewish Christian that is charged with helping the man that was coming to kill him. I don't know what Ananias thought about when God by his spirit showed up and said, hey, I want you to welcome Saul of Tarsus. Except that we know this. He received a man that would even persecute him because Ananias reflects the kind of hope that Paul would come to experience is that there is a God that is greater than Caesar and there is a God that is greater than all men. Anything in this world, everything that works against, everything that feels strong, everything that feels like it holds people in bondage, Past hurts. I say this very carefully because people often think when I say this that I diminish their pain. I don't want to ever do that. Some people who sit in this gathering and is listening, watching us online, uh, they have known a pain and a hurt that has kept them so bound so blind to hope and healing for so long that when they hear a preacher get up here and speak about the power of God, they may say, you know what, pastor, I want to believe it, but I don't know if it's possible. I, I've tried. I've tried different ways. I've tried different things. I've, I, I, I've tried to fix myself. I've tried to forget. Have you ever tried to forget something that you just cannot shake? 
except that Paul shows us that, that God can change the trajectory of people. He, he can change the perspectives that keep them hell-bent on going away from Him instead of towards Him. And He can do so in miraculous ways, but He can also do so in ordinary ways, walking alongside us in roads of disappointment. He can also do so when we find ourselves at our wit's end. He can also show up in the very ordinary and mundane experiences of life and say, let me show you my power. Let me show you what I'm able to change. Come on, church. Listen, <laughs> it doesn't get any better than this, Stephanie, so if you're not saying amen now, it's not going to happen. Do you grasp the God who I proclaim this morning? Here's what Paul says elsewhere. My mama's favorite scripture, the whole of the prayer, but I only culminate with this, he's able to do immeasurably more than we think or ask. Change can be broken. Perspectives can be changed. I've heard people say to me over the years, oh, he'll just be that way. That's just the way he is. In fact, it's one of my favorite songs. That's just the way it is. Some things will never change. Don't get distracted by the quality of my voice. But you and I know that there are circumstances and experiences and things that holds power over us that only God can apprehend and transform by His power. The second thing, I said two points, right? The second thing, what God does for Paul, God desires to do for us. Paul is blinded, has to wait for his eyes to be opened, begins to see Christ as the hope of all that the Jewish nation had been waiting for, and becomes one of the most prolific missionaries and evangelists known to us till this day. What has to be the purpose of God as we read the Acts of the Apostles is that whatever eye-opening, transformation, breaking of the change of power and resistance to the hope of Jesus Christ. Whatever God does through His power, He does unto this end, that we would join the apostles, the disciples, and hence those first women who showed up at the tomb as witnesses to the God who overcomes even death. What God desires for Paul, He desires for you and me that we would become living witnesses to the resurrected hope that is Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. We cannot testify to something which we have not seen or come to know. The very word witness would indicate this, that I have seen something, have heard something, have come to know something that is so beautiful, so worth knowing, so worth seeing, so worth listening to, that I want to share it 
with others. He's religious. He's determined. He's certain. Until the grace of God found him, transformed his blindness to the hope of Jesus. And with it, he became a witness to hope and life. How do we bear witness? It begins in the most unusual way for Paul, and it begins perhaps in the most unusual way for us. Opening our eyes to the presence of God even in our ordinary lives. Inviting the Spirit to show us in which ways we have been resistant to meeting Him. Seeing the disruptions in your life. Even when things go sideways, here's where our theology stops. Our theology stops working when we find ourselves in hard places because somehow we believe that's not where we need to be. But what if there is much grace in the challenge and the struggle to discern who Christ truly is? What if true faith is born in the very crucible of life, in the very places that we could easily choose to say, where is this God that I proclaim? Where does my hope come from? But for that person who sits here today and is honest with me in their thoughts at least and before the Lord, and you say, Stu, you don't know, man. You don't understand. I can't see in any ways that this is good for me or for others. Been there? Now, let me just say this. Christians have done a poor job of trying to make everything sound nice by saying God has a purpose and a plan for everything. But I can tell you this. The hope of the gospel is that he never abandons us and he makes himself known even in the darkest places. If you're not in a dark place, do a little jig. Jennifer showed us how last week. I want to caution, however. I've seen some of you struggle just to walk. Do not dance if you cannot even do that. That was my best attempt at humor. If you're not in the dark place, in the hard place, give God thanks. Here's what I found about being in that place where it's not hard. It's tempting to not depend upon God when life is easy. It's tempting to treat our faith as uh, secondary, to diminish the significance of our worship, to put other things first. As the worship team comes, I wonder if you would join me in becoming open 
to the revelation that is given to us in Scripture. That through the resurrection of Christ, the power of God is made evident and accessible to you. Before they sing, I want you to pray with me. Not important that you listen to my prayer as much as perhaps the invitation to pray out of the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit in yours. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see you, that we may know you. Combat the fear and the anxiety and replace it with faith and hope. We often think that we are in control when life is easy and things are going according to plan. But it doesn't take much to remind this world that we are not the masters of our own destiny, that we are not the, the people with real power, but that ultimately, Instead of despairing, we place our hope in the one who holds us, who promises to be with us. So now, come Holy Spirit. Do for this pastor and for our people what you would have us know and be. Heal that which keeps us. Break us free from that which binds us. Empower the witness of your church, not because all things are well, but because we have come to see the hope of resurrection. Set us afire with a desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ and make us embody for this world the unity and peace that only you can bring. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.